would not be available to preach tomorrow night among all of these men, and he knew who should be preaching. And that, that doesn't mean that if, if something happened between now and tomorrow night and your pastor said, oh, so-and-so, I want to get so-and-so to preach, it doesn't, doesn't mean that the, the rest of it is not true. But it might very well be that God just sets it up that way for him to be preaching to you tomorrow night. You know, I want to remind you, um, I'm convinced that the strongest church culture is built on week-to-week preaching, not revival meetings. So you, you find meeting the first day of the week in the Bible, and, and it's very strong. And that's where church culture is built. A, a, a revival meeting can be a help, and it can be useful, and, and it's good to just kind of get us out of our routine sometimes. Um, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, there, there should be no apology you know, he didn't have to make an apology for the fact that, well, he's going to be preaching, his preaching week after week after week is what God uses to build the culture of this church. And so somebody else coming in and doing revival preaching, just, you know, try to spark here or, or there. Um, but the week-to-week preaching you get is, is what God wants you to have. And so uh, I have enjoyed the time here and, and get enjoyed being with you uh, don't misunderstand the point that I make or maybe the reason that I make it. I had told our church last year I was w- working through the decision to give up the Baptist times and the amount of time that it takes and felt like it was taking me away from the church a little bit more. And then in part because of that, but then just over time, the, the preaching schedule, going out and preaching you know, gets heavier and heavier. And, and I just felt like I, I need, to give a, need to take a year off of that, and so I just I chose to clear the calendar uh, completely off this year and just cancel all the preaching out. Uh, just one that I couldn't cancel, and that was to be able to be here. And I'm so glad that I I didn't. I love preaching to y'all, but I I really wanted to be sure that our relationship with the piles sustained strong, and and we want that to be the case. And that's why I'm sorry that my wife couldn't be here. Um, in, in that case, but I'm I am grateful that I that I got to be here this week, and I hope that it will be some help by the time that we're done. Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. If you'll go ahead and turn there and stand, we'll we're going to primarily deal with these verses, but I, I will have some other supporting verses that we'll deal with as well. Proverbs 24, that's where we're primarily going to be. Maybe just for the sake of time, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. So Proverbs 24 primarily, and then after we read that and then pray, then we'll look at some things in, in 1 Kings 3 briefly before we go back to Proverbs 24. And then the end of the message, I want to reinforce this by something that Jesus said. Proverbs 24, and we'll read at the end of this chapter, verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it 
and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a good spirit that has already been here tonight. And a lot of homes in this community and the surrounding communities sure could use a taste of the kind of spirit that exists in here. And I pray that the spirit that exists in here also exists in the homes that make up this church and and that this church could be a light because of what it gets to enjoy tonight. It could be a light spread throughout this community so that others would benefit from that. Thank you for the meetings that we've been able to have. I pray that there's been some good that has come from the preaching that would just be a drop in the bucket of all that you're trying to do here. And thank you for my own privilege of investing in them and preaching to them and then getting to spend just a valuable, valuable time with a family that I so love. I pray your richest blessings on West Valley. Lord, I ask that you would do beyond what those that are the most familiar with this church, that you would do beyond what even they could imagine. And that everybody here would be humbled to be used in the way that you use them in this community. And and I, I just ask that you would help their imagination to be strong towards this place and that their children, if you, if you tarry, you're coming. That their children and their children's children would still be pouring themselves into the house of God here so that this part of the country can benefit from it. So use the message tonight to build those in this room to be what this church needs to be. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to ask for an actual show of hands here. I'm not going to ask a follow-up question as to what the specifics are, but how many of you at some point in time since you've been a member here and Brother Pyle has been the pastor, that you have gone to him at some point in time and said, I would like to get some counsel from you, whether it's a counseling situation or whether it's just an answer from Scripture or, or just a, a question that you're, that you're dealing with and you thought, you know what, I would like to get my pastor's counsel, just try to get his discernment on this particular issue. Whether it's counseling a problem or just a, a question in parenting or something that you wanted to get what you believe that his mind would be on that matter. Can I just see a, a show of hands? Okay, so it would be the vast majority of the people in this room. What level of answer did you want? I mean, how accurate did you want him to be? And can I assume I know the answer to that? You wanted him to be accurate. Now, I can tell you this. Everything that all of you together have ever asked him, most of that he didn't learn in Bible college. They don't have a class on everything that you've ever presented to him. They don't. I, I mean, especially in this culture. There's some challenging things out there. And yet, 
you go to him and you ask him these questions and you are hoping that maybe because of something that has happened in his heart or how God has dealt with him, that he will have be able to give you a helpful answer. That he has some element of discernment that when you present something that he can pull from the scripture primarily or that he can pull from some circumstances that he has dealt with, some reading that he has done about that, you have an expectation that there are these different places that he is going to pull from in his own life, in his own learning, in his own walk with God, in him learning from other pastors, him uh, being, when he talks about the time at Stillwater, what he would learn there and the time under his father and the time under Bible college and then just the experience in pastoring. When you go to him, you realize that he does not have a, a textbook that has the specific circumstance that you are talking about listed in there and then A, B, C, and D. It doesn't even list the exact verse. Somehow he has to take those pieces and put them together to give you an answer that will do you good. Do you understand part of the dilemma there? Is this church stronger if it is built primarily on your pastor or if it is built on the shared relationship with God of all the men and women in this room? In other words, do you want, I already know that you believe in pastoral authority. You should because it is biblical. The Bible has a lot to say that if you are somebody that is hard to pastor, if he has to pastor you with grief instead of joy, the Bible is very explicit. That's not going to go well for you. That's that's a clear biblical principle. I know that you believe in pastoral authority. Understand that. But do you really want a pastor-centric church? Meaning that We have this Pope up here with all the answers, with a funny hat, which I wouldn't put past him. And then, and then everybody else uh, is like, "Okay, we all these answers from you." Or do you think he might would even feel like you know our church will be stronger if there's a lot of discernment to go around? If instead of him having to carry the load of all the answers that need to be answered, of the collective circumstances that exist in the families and the individuals in this room, that this would be a church with a people who have discernment. That's not just centered in one man. Do dads need keen discernment? Every husband needs discernment. As soon as you get married and try to figure out this thing called woman, you realize, I need discernment. <laughs> and you'll, 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 never, you'll never get all you need, trust me. That's, that's why we go to heaven, so we can figure it out then. You'll, you'll never, you never know everything that you need, but every family needs leadership, whether it is a, a, a man providing leadership in the family, if it's a, a single parent home, Whatever the case may be, there needs to be somebody at the helm 
who has discernment, just like you want him to have discernment, and you want to have confidence, please listen to me. You want him, you want to have confidence in him that when you go to that man, that you are going to get something solid, something meaty that you can you can bank on and you can say, This is this is good counsel, this is reasonable, this is biblical, this is this is right, and somehow that he takes the pieces and applies it to your situation, just like you want from that that from him, your wife needs that from you, sir. And your children need that confidence in their dad. Boy, how do you develop that? How do you develop discernment? God came to Solomon one time. Just turn over to 1 Kings 3 there. I want you to notice this. We'll come back to Proverbs 24 because I'm sure you're wondering what the connection there is. But 1 Kings chapter 3, look at verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness. By the way, notice what he calls a great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day, meaning that he had, he had children that walked in his ways that God blessed. Verse 7, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And notice this, And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. I mean, he, he's humble. He recognizes, he states right up front, God, I find myself the king now, not David. And I have a lot of things to answer. My responsibility is great. And God, I feel so small right now because I don't know how to give all the answers. I don't know how to, I don't know how to provide the leadership that a kingdom needs. Verse 8, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Solomon's just being extremely honest. And he says, I find myself in a position where I realize I don't have all the answers to everything that this nation needs. My father was great and he had, he had this and he had that, but I, I'm, I'm just Solomon. And, and we know the, the, the reputation that he ended up with, but he doesn't have it yet. He's not considered the wisest man that ever existed. He's a man who, who is sitting there before God saying, I don't know how to give them everything they need. Just like every dad has felt and every mom has felt that wants to give their kids something from God. And I assure you, every pastor that has the heart of your pastor has felt that. Sometimes we can feel it counseling session after counseling session after counseling session. God, I don't, I don't know all these answers. And so... Verse 10, in the speech 
pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So Solomon says, God, this is what I need. I need you to help me to understand the real root of these answers. Help me to discern between good and bad. Basically, he's saying, God, please give me discernment to know what to say, to know how to answer these situations. And the Lord was pleased with that. This is what I love about this text is verse 11. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life first, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself second, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies third, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. You realize what the Lord is saying? He said, now, uh, listen, because that's what you asked for, and, and you didn't ask for longer life, great riches, more money, or the life of thine enemies, but you asked for discernment? Solomon, here's what I'm going to do for you. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. Now notice this. So that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Now I want you to notice what that says. It says, Solomon, because you asked for discernment, I can trust you with a whole lot more than discernment. Discernment is the gift that keeps on giving. Because if you have discernment, I honestly believe God is, is painting a, a little bit of a, of a picture here that if, if he finds a man or a woman that wants discernment to be able to have to seek what God has to say and to learn from the things around them so that, that they can help others know the answers to challenges in their life and they can give them good, solid biblical counsel and a, and a man can learn to say to his wife not just what that man wants but what that man believes is the best answer before God that will leave his wife in good standing at the judgment seat of Christ and then a father who is not just dreaming his own little dream for his son or his daughter, but wants God to give him the ability to tell them exactly what they need to hear and what will benefit them, then it's amazing. God seems to bless a man like that with things that he didn't even ask for. Because when you have discernment, it tends to propagate more gifts than just discernment itself and answers because you begin to live life in a certain way, but you enjoy the benefits. You need discernment. Your pastor needs discernment. He desires discernment. You need discernment. And if you don't want a pastor-centric church, then every man in this room that's a member of this church needs to have a deep passion to want to desire the discernment, the kind of discernment or the level of discernment that you expect a pastor to have. And your son and your daughter ought to be able to expect as much discernment from you, as accurate a discernment from you as you expect from him. 
Does that sound right? Absolutely it does. So Proverbs 24. In, in Proverbs 24, we learn one of the texts that helps us understand how you gain discernment. You know, I, I wish I could spend more time here, and I, I, I'm wondering if, if maybe I will complicate things more. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now, let me try to paint a picture of a small thought here that I wish I had a whole lot more time, but I'm going to take a chance and, and paint it. Notice he says, whether therefore you eat, that's a specific activity, drink, a specific activity, or whatsoever you do. So he throws in every other activity. He says, do all to the glory of God. And what's fascinating is that that verse that Paul gave to the church at Corinth assumes something about the way that God created our mind. What he's saying is that you can be eating and you can be drinking and yet not thinking specifically about eating or drinking. You are able to submit eating to a higher thought, which is doing it to the glory of God. So that a person is not just sitting down to eat and only thinking about scoffing all this food up. But he's using his God-given capacity, his God-given ability to think, okay, I'm eating, yes, and I need to eat, and this food is put before me, and I'm going to partake of it. But God has given me the ability to arrange the way that I eat or the food that I choose or the way that I conduct myself in this restaurant or the, the tip that I leave or the trash that I leave on the floor around the place where my family has eaten, I get to decide, okay, this is not just about eating. God has given me a higher capacity to think about how can he receive glory from my eating or while I am drinking or while I am doing whatsoever else I do. And discernment in many ways comes to those who are willing to submit every activity they enter into to some higher thinking. Not just the emotion they feel at the moment. So God has given us the ability to do that. And Proverbs 24 explains a situation similar to that. So what happens is in this text, look at verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. So basically, here's Solomon, the same one who asked God for discernment. And you're wondering, what, what did he do to get discernment? How does Solomon think? How did he get to be the wisest man in the world? And, and how did he, he learn how to do all of this stuff? It just seems like, you know, that's beyond, you know, all of us common people, you know, like, like us in, in, in our culture, in our, in our time and place. Well, all he's doing is he's taking a walk one day. Solomon's up, just strolling along and looking left and right and, you know, noticing the scenery and maybe looking at what's changed along the way, maybe the same walk that he takes, you know, all the, all the time. And he says, and he would, he would say to us if he was talking to us about it, he says, hey, I went by the field of the slothful. And the vineyard of the man, void of understanding, and, and it tells us some things that he noticed. Verse 31, here's what, he, here, here's what he saw. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof. 
and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And so he notices the condition of this property. I mean, he's just out taking a walk, but in, in everything else that he sees, I mean, he's got anything in the sky to look at and you know, maybe some of the, the, the fowl flying around and noticing this kind of bird and that kind of bird and the clouds, and then he's able to look at the ground and, oh, you know, need some rain maybe a little bit. The ground's kind of dry and maybe, you know, seeing, oh, well, you know, Mrs. Jones added, you know, she added some nice roses to the front. And, and he's noticing all of this stuff. But then he, he says, I, well, I noticed this. I went by this one place and, man, it was all grown over with thorns and these nettles covered it up. And the, the stone wall that he had out there in front, it, it was all broken down. So then he concludes a lesson from what he saw. And he tells us in verse 33 what he concludes. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So he says, he, he determines, all right, here's what the, the cause of this problem was, and, and maybe he knows more about it, or maybe he, you know, it's a little research here, that there was a little sleep. There's a little too much sleep going on. And he wasn't taking care of his property. There was some slumber going on. Some slumber would imply a laziness and just a, a lethargy all the time and a, a lack of ability to do something productive. This, this slumber would. Then he says a, a little folding of the hands to sleep. And so he's explaining this conclusion. And then he determined what the effect from the cause was. He says, so, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, meaning one that's going here, one that's going there, not, not necessarily working a, a job and making a living, just one that's just, you know, flitting about from place to place. And, and he says that you're going to have poverty like that. That's what this person, you know, that's what comes from this circumstance. And thy want as an armed man, meaning you're going to be in need of stuff and, and you're going to, you're not going to, make a living and you're going to have been this you're traveling so much and going here and going there you're not taking care of the stuff that you've been given you're not a steward and he says that's what it'll cause and then you'll be almost like somebody that's got to take a gun and go rob somebody to get something that's how bad you're going to need stuff because of this little sleep little slumber and a folding of the hands and so he i mean he explains he explains all of that. But in the middle of the first two verses of what he saw and the last two verses of what he concluded is verse 32. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Solomon tells us how he processed things. He says, I saw it. And my eyes were looking around. And of all the things that I saw, something caused me to take particular note of that. I saw that. And considered it well. Meaning, he's mulling this over in his mind. Huh. There's, there's thorns everywhere. There's these nettles and this wall. It's just, it's been demolished. I wonder, I wonder about that. How did that happen? 
what, what, what could have caused that. He says, I looked upon it. I mean, he, he's making it clear again, I'm taking note of what I'm seeing. Instead of just taking a walk and looking around and taking in the scenery, some things are clicking when he sees it. And he realizes that maybe I ought not just go look at this, then look at that, and then just look at the next thing, look at the next thing. Oh, I saw this. Wait a minute. I need to think about that for a minute. And he looked upon it, and then he says, I received instruction. So as he's walking, just like anybody else walks, he's mindful not necessarily of what Paul said to Corinth because Paul hadn't said that to Corinth yet. But while he's looking at something, it would be the equivalent of when Paul said eating or drinking. He said, whatsoever you do, would you do that, do that to the glory of God. Pay attention to more than just eating or drinking. And so when Solomon is walking around and he's looking at things, then there are times his eyes would fall on something and he would say, you know, I think I probably ought to think about that for a little bit. I need to consider what I'm seeing because that's not just looking at a bird in the sky. It's not just looking at how much moisture is in the ground. It's not just, you know, looking at, at uh, Mrs. Jones' roses. I, I'm seeing something here that I probably ought to stop and give some thought to and I ought to consider it. I love this quote from Plutarch and lived from 46 B.C. to 126, 120 B.C. And he relates a saying of Cato Major, and I listen to this closely. I wish I could put this up on the, so you could read it on the, on the screen, but just listen to this. That wise men profit more by fools than fools by wise men. For wise men will avoid the faults of fools, but fools will not imitate the virtues of wise men. Now, wouldn't it seem automatic that if you're a fool, you would pay attention to wise men? You would want to learn from wise men? But that's why they're a fool. It's because they want to learn from wise men. You know one of the reasons the wise men are wise? Because they learn from the fools. Isn't that interesting? I mean, how were they so smart back then? I don't even know if Plutarch was a, wasn't even a, a Christian person, obviously, in, in that case. and Wouldn't necessarily know the Lord, but he figured that out. He, he said that, that, that wise men profit more by fools than fools by wise men. And that's the complete opposite of the way it ought to be. But that is exactly the way that it is. You find, you find fools or those who do foolish things, and a lot of times you're going to find out they had an opportunity to learn from wise men, but they didn't. And, and you find that people that are wise are those that have watched fools and they have learned from what fools have done and that has kept them from being fools. Daughters and sons grow up and, and the difference in how some of these are going to be foolish and do some foolish things and get themselves in a fix. And the reason some of these guys over here, some will grow up and be wise and some will grow up and be foolish is the, the fact that here they are growing up in West Valley Baptist Church, a wonderful church, and they have an opportunity to either learn from the wise men and the wise ladies or the fools. And they're going to decide, am I going to learn from my parents and my pastor and his family, or am I going to learn from my friends? And the fools 
We're going to ignore the wise men and learn from fools. The wise of you are going to learn something from the fools as to how not to be a fool. That's the way it works. Now, so applied to this story, the fool is taking the same walk that Solomon takes. And he, he sees the sky and the birds and how much moisture is in the ground and Mrs. Jones' roses. And, and he, then he sees the, the you know, house is, is broken down and, and thought, oh, that's too bad. And walks on. That's what fools do. It's not what wise men do. It's not what this wise man did. The fool walks by and maybe he feels sorry for the people. Oh, man, those poor people. I, I hate that. I hate that for them. Somebody came and, and planted thorns in their yard. And, I mean, just overnight. I mean, they went to bed, and I'm sure it was fine, and they woke up, and there's all these thorns, and there's all these nettles, and, and, and these people came and knocked their, their wall down, and, and they, they just don't have, the, they don't have the money to fix it. I, I'm sure that's it. Or, or the fool makes excuses for them, maybe because his wall is broken down, or who knows why. Or maybe he just laughed at them for having such a sorry yard. <laughs> it's, that's probably is what he thought. I don't, that's what fools do. But the wise man walks by and something draws him in to saying, you know, it might help me to understand how that got that way. How did that happen? Why is it like that? Because the wise man says, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want somebody walking by, by my yard and looking at all that and then concluding based on what they see and maybe based upon the little things they know of me that I sleep too much. I don't, I don't want that to happen to me. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want my property to be like that. I want to be a good steward of the things that I've been given and I, I would rather take care of those. And so man, I, I want to think this through for a minute and figure out how did it get that way? And he, he takes whatever resources are available to him and concludes, all right, the reason that there are those thorns and those nettles and there's that, those, those, the wall broken down and those stones laying everywhere and in such disarray, he, he does whatever research that he's going to do because he sees it, he considers it well, he looks upon it and receives instruction and then says, this was a case of too much sleep. That's what he discovered. See, wise men exercise discernment. How? By seeing a problem or a lack or a weakness in someone else or something else and striving to learn from it. A, a person with discernment always has their eyes and ears open not to just everybody else's problem, but when they see a problem, they see a circumstance that is, that is problematic, and they, they see somebody in a situation, they think, man, I don't want to be in that situation. I, I, don't, I don't want that to be my kids. I, I don't want that to be our church. I, 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 don't, want, I don't want those things, to, I don't want those things to, to happen. Therefore, they see it, and they don't just feel sorry. 
they might, they might try to help, do whatever they can and all of these things, but I'm telling you, if they're a wise man, a wise woman, and they desire discernment and by which they can be a help to their family, to their kids, to their spouse, to the other people in this church, they constantly use those eyes and those ears to look at it and to figure out, okay, I want to consider this. I want to consider it well and learn what I can. I'm not going to meddle in other people's stuff, but I want to have my eyes and ears open enough that I can try to figure out how did this happen and they see somebody else in a bad situation and the first thing they think about is themselves not the other person and not those poor people but how do i avoid this they see disarray in a family they see a way somebody's kids turn out they see they they're on vacation and they go to another church and, and they see some of the chaos and problems in that church. And, and instead of just, oh, it's too bad, they start thinking, man, how does a church get like that? We could get like that. And I'm, I'm a member, so I probably ought to really look at this and figure out, how does that happen? Because if I want to have discernment, I'm going to do what I can that that doesn't happen here. And as a dad, I don't want that to happen in my family. And there would be a, a lot of things that potentially be avoided if we, had, if we have plenty of people that have discernment. Not a pride that they're better than others, but want to avoid a problem and apply it. So, so what do they do? They see it and they look upon it. And, and they, they look at it and they don't just, they, they see the potential for themselves to learn. They consider it well, meaning they don't just think about it for a minute. He, he says, I saw and considered it well. You're going to have to have your eyes open. I mean, it, it's one of the neat things about a church is that you have people come in and hopefully, and I know you do, I just say this from a, from a preaching standpoint, hopefully there are plenty of people that come into West Valley that are broken. That's where they ought to be. And they come in, and you, you have a chance to learn some stories. I imagine from time to time you hear testimonies of, of where people came from and the way their life was before. And you ought to be listening really, really close every time you hear something like that because God might give you an opportunity to see it and to hear it and to not just hear a testimony and say, praise God for that. But, man, we don't want to get there. So you have to see it. You, you, you take note. You're, you're not condemning people for where they are. You are taking note that, that guys that you're, you're looking at other guys that came in here or, or that you know from, from other families and other schools and, and, and you see where their life ended up. And if you're the fool, you say, well, they, maybe they're having a lot of fun. No, I'm, I'm hoping there's some wise ones here. All of you probably aren't going to be, just statistically speaking, but any of you can be that want to be. If when you look at other young people, you're not, you're not being fair sake or you're not being condemning, you're not being judgmental, you're just saying, you know, I don't think I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to go down that road. So you look. Have your eyes open to those things. And, and so I look and I considered it well and, and think it through. Mull it over in your mind. 
if, if, if you want shallow answers, then think shallow about it for a minute and say, oh, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it was just this or, or that. You might really think it through and maybe even consider what, what does the scripture say the problem might be? That's sometimes a lot of times you could go and say, how do you think this happens? Because he's watched a lot of circumstances. He's gotten to see a bird's eye view of a lot of problems. It could probably help shed the light on some and say, you know, here's where some things went wonky in their family or, or in their thinking or, or in their spirit. Consider it well and receive some instruction from it. I mean, you, you'll learn. You'll learn as much as you can from what you pick up from all these outside sources. But especially, you want to be able to have a Holy Spirit-driven ability to figure out how did that happen? Because the man of discernment, the woman of discernment, wants to know from God what's the cause and effect here. What triggered this? How did this happen? Let me give you some examples. What do you see when, when you see someone's problem? I'll just give you a, a number of things that, that I've written down. When you see kids, you know, running around at, at church, laying on the floor, throwing a fit, what do you think? No, kids are going to do that. You're, you're going to have, you know, every, kids are not born knowing how to act at church. They're not born knowing how to act anywhere, actually. So, so kids throwing a fit on, on the floor, and and uh, let's say that the dad's three feet away, and is where's his mom? You know. Well, you might you might just watch that and say, you know, I mean, a kid's going to do that, but the kid gave him a dad to help him learn not to do that. And so dads that really want to learn how to be good dads will take note of that. And I say, oh, I saw that. I need to pay attention to what I'm doing. Am I aware of what my kids are doing? Am I going to learn? Am I going to consider that? Listen, there's nothing in this message that says your responsibility is to go to that dad and say, are you an idiot or what? Do you see what your kid's doing? That's not good for church unity, all right? Be careful approaching it that way. No, the, the wisest man on the planet said, when I see that, I, you know, if I can ever be a help to him, that's great. But I need to look at my life. And I need to figure out, is this something that I need to deal with in my own life? I need to consider that maybe I, I don't always know what my kids are doing. I, I need to pay attention to that. Whether it's at church or whether they're at somebody else's house, whatever the case may be, that you are mindful of that. When you see somebody with a grumpy face at church and you say, man, they're mad. Well, you can either think, they got a problem. Or you can get a mirror out and say, did I make anybody think that today? Do, Do I even know, do I have a sour look? And it becomes a matter of, do you really want discernment? Because that's how you build it. 
Because you're, you're not going to read everything in a, in, in a book, and you can read all the books that you want, and it is not going to develop the ability for you to look at a circumstance and consider it well and receive instruction about how do we discern what is going on here because I need, I want this in my own life to be able to see these things. What do you think when you hear someone with a bitter questioning or critical spirit? What do you think about that? Well, they got a point. You, you might want to really listen close. And a wise and discerning man and woman is really going to listen past the surface. And say, you know, let me, let me listen to that. Let me think about that. As a matter of fact, let me consider that well and receive some instruction. Because I'm not so sure that that's the path I want to go down. When you see uh, another one of the girls in the youth group with a bad attitude toward her mom, you're either going to be the wise or the fool. The fool says, yeah, my mom's like that sometimes too. The wise young lady will be, hmm, you know, when I consider that, I don't, I don't think that's probably going to go too good because I, mean, I already know her mom's not perfect and maybe her mom didn't do everything right, but you know, let's, let's see, maybe I'm going to be a mom one day and God has this law called sowing and reaping and uh, he might just do like the kernel of corn. You have one kernel of corn, you put it in the ground, and you don't just get one kernel back. You get a whole ear of corn back. And the wise young lady will say, you know, I, God says if I honor my parents that there's some things that will be better for me. And so whatever my emotion is, whether I think she had whatever justification, this is what God wants for me. And by the way, every youth group benefits from having young ladies who are wise. Because there's a whole world of foolish young ladies out there. And if they're going to find wise young ladies, they ought to be able to come into a church like this and find some. And not just spiritual versions of what's out there. Some of you guys are going to be leading families one day. And I realize some of you have not even discovered girls yet, but it is coming, trust me. And you probably ought to practice now trying to figure out, man, do I, the, the, the way that I treat my parents, the way that young men treat their moms, probably ought to pay attention to that. And say, you know, he, he sounds cool, but when I, when I really listen, and I consider it well, and I receive some instruction, and I realize that's really not how I want to be. That's not how I want to end up. And that God might be, God might be listening to how he's treating his mom and how I treat my mom so he can decide what kind of a lady can he give me. 
based on how I treat a lady that I say I love, then God might be saying, you know, I just, I just trying to figure out, I'm going to give you this old maid over here? Or am I, I'm going to give you this young lady that, that's going to be prized among everything? And, and so you, you can learn a lot from the way that each other treats your parents. Or, or authorities in general, teachers, youth leaders, pastors, all of that. What do you, what do you hear when, when son, I love this, it's one of my favorite ones, so, but it, it, never, it never works out to where it's the congregation's favorite one as well. So. But I, I'm doing the preaching, so I get to put my favorite ones in there, and you can insert yours when you're telling the church member that wasn't here. You can add whatever you want to in this section, so... Have you, have you ever heard somebody say, man, that person talks a lot? It is interesting to me when I hear somebody say that person talks a lot, who talks a lot? Themself. And it's like they're so busy talking about this person that talks a lot that I can't get a word in edgewise. So are you listening to yourself? And, and, it, and it's those that they just, they never, they never take the hint and you know what it ought to be, especially if you, ever, if you ever read the book of Proverbs much, then you know that, that the more words you use, the more tendency there is to sin. Proverbs is very clear about that. And James is pretty clear about, you know, if you're going to be quick, you ought to be quick to listen and slow to speak because that produces less, less wrath in men. And so when you hear somebody, they might even be in this church, that talks a whole lot more than they listen, you probably ought to pay attention. Can I tell you something that's really affecting a lot of our churches, that something that helped my own marriage was that I, I counsel couples in our church, and 9.9 .9 times out of 10, when I'm sitting there counseling them, if the wife is doing all the talking, I realize we're not anywhere near the root of the problem with what all these symptoms are. This home's got a deep problem. And when a man doesn't even realize the wife is speaking for our family. You know, when I, I saw that, I began to see that happening more and more. And besides preaching on it more and more, then I thought, I really need to pay attention to be sure that, that God is able to help me be the leader that I need to be and protect my wife from being thought of that way? I mean, what, what is a husband thinking when he allows his wife to be thought ill of because she's one representing the family and seeming to have everything to say about the family and the husband's sitting there like I was when Brother Jonathan gives announcements, you know? And, I, and, and I'm serious. What I wonder sometimes is, does she beat him every night or what? You know? I mean, this beats him into submission? I, I, thought, I thought the Bible said something different. We're, we're just talking about, we're talking about real problems. And things that tear families up. And a lot of times when you see that circumstance, I've noticed at Bible Baptist Church, if and when I see that circumstance, then it eventually affects a church as well. 